All right, guys. Want to talk about Arbitrum and their new, new? I guess just call it a product they're coming out with or a protocol called Stylus, which is really, really interesting. Um, first, just want to say nothing I say here should be taken as financial advice. Please consult your financial consultant. This is purely for educational purposes only. So, on Arbitrum Day, which is August thirty first. Uh, they announced their uh, releasing Stylus, um, which is already live uh, for coding and testnet. And it's what what is so awesome about Stylus is it's uh, being released in multiple languages. So right now the main language in and I'm not a coder by any means, trust me. But right now the main language um, that's written on Ethereum is Solidity, and um, just doing a little bit of research, uh, a survey of 87,000 developers around the world, only 1.3% of them code in Solidity, whereas 19% use the language called C, 22% use a language called C++, and 13% use Rust. And to put it in other contexts, um, around the world there's about 20,000 Solidity coders, in Rust, there's about three million, and in and people coding in C and C there's twelve million coders. So you've got this this opportunity to offer what twelve fifteen million more developers or coders, whatever you'd like to call them that are already coding in Rust, C, and C++, not coding in Solidity. So you've theor you theoretically went from 20,000 max coders, right, thereabouts, 20,000 max coders on Solidity, to adding 15 million more. So you got all these more minds opening up to blockchain, to Ethereum, uh, Ethereum and Arbitrum, and what they can do. Um, in fact, I think it's tomorrow is the ETH Global in, um, in New York, and uh, Arbitrum's having a uh, Stylus Hackathon, and they got $20,000 worth of, uh, of bounties going on. So it's going to be super exciting for sure, and again, I'm not a coder by any mean, but um, the, the, just to one step back, the Arbitrum DAO must uh, vote to adopt Stylus, um, sounds from everything I'm reading and hearing, it sounds like um, it will get voted in, um, just because people are so so super excited about it. Again, we're open. It's going to be opening up to over 15 million coders compared to max of 20,000. Not all 20,000 coders in Solidity are, are you know are coding uh, on Ethereum and Arbitrum. Um, some of the other uh, bullet points. The uh, stylus is going to allow smart contracts in interoperability uh, with the uh, EVM. Um, stylus is going to be slashing fees of four, four categories. Uh, compute is going to be 10 to 100 times cheaper. Memory will be 100 to 500 times cheaper. Storage via caching will be 10 to 100 times cheaper. And reentry detection will be 10 to 100 times cheaper. You got the upcoming EIP forty eight forty four proposal for Ethereum. That's going to be coming in into effect soon. So, 
EIP4844 combined with Arbitrum Stylist, you're looking at transaction fees on Layer 2 and Arbitrum being sub-penny. Um, this is an, it is, it's amazing. This is an optimistic roll-up uh, technology, you know, and when optimistic roll-up came out and, and the other one is ZK Proofs, um, many people thought the ZK was much better than the optimistic and the optimistic was going to be too expensive and too clunky. Well, here Arbitrum is proving that to completely be otherwise. So you're going to have this phenomenal opportunity, this phenomenal technology open up to 15 million more developers and bring down transaction costs on Ethereum, on, on, on Arbitrum, the layer two of Ethereum, to subpenny, potentially subpenny. If that happens, oh, and by the way, this can also, this will also be applied to layer threes, right? So anything built above the layer two of Arbitrum. So layer threes will be able to interop to, to work with stylus. So this is opening up, like I said, to 15 million more coders um, and really more than that because people that are just getting involved in, in coding and, and, and coming on, they're going to choose what language they want to write in. From the other things I'm reading, Arbitrum is also going to eventually open it up to even more languages. I don't know if there's, I guess there's more than those um, four or five languages I've talked about already, but the opportunity is going to be, not just the opportunity is going to be huge, but you've got the, the mindset, right, of different people to develop things. I mean, what could be developed? God only knows. It's going to be, um, man, it's just, it, it just, like I said, it just opens it up. The more people you could bring in, I mean, okay, so what made Rome so great and what what makes America so great, right? So I don't know if you know the, the history of Rome, but when Rome was created, Rome was literally, uh, let's say, so the Roman Empire went from 450 B.C. to about 250 A.D., so... Rome prior to 450 BC, and that's what they considered the empire, right? So several hundred years prior to 450 BC, so let's just call it 1000 BC or eight or 900 BC, Rome was just like a village like the rest of the, the known world at that time, which was, you know, Europe and Eastern Europe and whatnot. They were made up of villages, right? So Rome was a little village, you know, probably a village in Venice, a village in Paris, France, a village in England, London area, and whatnot. Well, when someone did something crazy in these other villages or um, was thinking outside the box and the other villagers shunned them or whatever the scenario was, villages had this thing to kick, pe kick that person or kick those people out. They didn't want them. That's pretty much the way society was being run at that time. And so what the people that were in charge of the village of Rome said, well, we'll take you in. We'll open our doors to you, to these people that are being kicked out. And of course, word spread throughout 
the known world, and these people that would get kicked out of their village, they would make their way to Rome. And so what happened was, I'm sure some of these people were no good and crazies or whatever, and Rome would just squash them. But the ones that were being kicked out for not a really good reason, or maybe they were like people that would think outside the box and creating things that other people might have thought they was witchcraft or whatever, Rome welcomed them with open arms. And when they welcomed them with open arms you're bringing in these people that have a different mindset. They're bringing in people that are thinking maybe outside the box of the regular villagers of the village of Rome. And so over the course of hundreds of years, and then starting in 450 BC is when it was, we consider it, the Roman Empire really kind of started. You've, now you've had this mass migration of people from all over the known world that are being kicked out of their villages Ending up in Rome, bringing ideas, bringing fresh ideas or things that knowledge that they know how to do something that the other people of Rome that are already in Rome don't know. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it grew not just in numbers of population, but it grew in knowledge. And Rome, the leaders of Rome, I don't know if they knew that was going to happen. But if they didn't know it, they obviously saw it happening and they, they were able to capitalize on it, right? And they ended up being the world superpower, the known world superpower, for 700 years, right? And they've done that. They did that through knowledge, and that knowledge brought different type of weapons and different type armor and different way of th doing things and different military tactics and different this and different that. So therefore, they were able to conquer. Wherever they went, they were just able to kick ass and conquer everyone. Uh, America had the same philosophy when America was founded, and we have our doors open to everyone and anybody, especially way back you know, in the 1800s and early 1900s. The doors were open. Everyone was coming in from Italy, from Ireland, from England, from France, from this, from that. Today, we have you know, so-called restrictions on people coming in, although we have a lot of illegal immigrants. I'm talking about the legal way of coming in. 100 years ago, it was just a free-for-all, right? Just come. Uh, but what again, same just as Rome did. And we, obviously, the people that founded America, they knew about the Roman Empire history. And they used that vision. And it's the same way. And we still do to this day. We bring in amazing talent from all over the world. So, therefore, America has be able to, was able to become the dominant superpower from you know World War One we stepped up and then World War Two we extremely stepped up and ever since World War Two we have you know massively been dominant. We were dominant prior to World War Two and prior to World War One. We were dominant from the you know the eighteen eighties uh, or eighteen seventies or sixties for that matter um, in everything from uh, you know advancements um, and it just has just progressed and progressed and progressed. And again, not just militarily, but everything else we enjoy um, in in in, the, in in America and many other parts of the world comes from the minds of Americans. I'm not saying it's the only minds of you know the world, but a lot of advancements and technologies on different levels come from people in America. They may not been born here, and that's the point. They maybe they came from India, or they came from China, or Japan, or South Korea, or over here, or over there. The point is they migrate here 
for a reason, just like the people migrated to Rome for a reason. So my point going on that rant for three minutes is Arbitrum is literally doing the same thing. Open up their programming that can be built on Arbitrum through this thing called Stylus to not just Solidity, which, as I said in the numbers, was is a small pool of developers. Open it up to the major languages, Rust, C, and C++. And they just now opened it up to 15 million people. Every other protocol or layer or whatever on Ethereum and on, let's just go, you talk Sol Solana, Tron, they're all narrow-minded, right? And I'm not a maxi of Ethereum, not a maxi of Solana, I'm not a maxi of Tron, I'm not a maxi of Bitcoin. But they are all narrow-minded. And when you're narrow-minded, you're limiting your possibilities. Arbitrum just opened up their possibilities and opened up their mind. It's a, it's a fantastic move. And if they pull it off, if this gets pulled off with the EIP 4844 going in place, and if transaction fees go sub-penny, look out. I mean, it's game over. And we've talked about other advantages in an earlier podcast of uh, the way Ethereum is, is going about with these different layers. We've, we've discussed that, you know, we compared it to modern-day ship compared to uh, a modern-day ship compared to the Titanic, right? And just to go over that real briefly, the Titanic was built, everyone thought it was this phenomenal ship, and it hits that iceberg, rips a hole in the side, from what we're told, floods out, sinks, and so many people die, and the majority of the people die on the ship. Well, today's ships are built not that way. Today's ships are built where if they were to hit a, 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 an iceberg or whatever the situation causes a tear in the ship, the entire ship doesn't flood. That compartment of that ship floods. Whether it's 25% of the ship or an eighth of the ship or a 16th of the ship, I don't know how big the compartments are. But as soon as a tear happens in that compartment, every other compartment gets sealed off. And it only floods that one compartment. There's been videos of cruise ships and big military ships and what have you coming back to port with a big tear or a big gash or a big hole, for that matter, in the ship. Well, you say, oh my goodness, how does that happen? Well, that's how it happens. They seal it off. It gets sealed off and only that one little compartment floods. Well, it's the same thing with what, what Arbitrum is building, and not Arbitrum, what Ethereum is building with the different layers. Layer 2 right now is Arbitrum, Polygon, Optimistic, uh, opt optimism and uh, uh, and what have you, and they're going to build layer threes and layer fours. So, if it, as an example, let's say Polygon's layer, or the layer two and Polygon gets um, hacked, or they have an outage, or whatever the problem is, a worm, you know, whatever, Polygon stops working. It does not affect the Ethereum base layer, and it doesn't affect the other layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism. It's brilliant. Whereas something like Solana, and you guys know I love Solana. I use it every single day. But, and I've asked developers on Solana if layers can be built on Solana. And the answer is absolutely yes, right? Without hesitation, the, the, the answer is yes. But the way Solana is operating now, it doesn't have these layers. So if there's an issue with something happens in the Solana blockchain that causes 
the blockchain to cease, whether it's for 20 minutes or 20 hours, the fact is if it ceases, then no transactions are going through, that's an issue. Whereas with the way Ethereum is building it, the more people are using these layers, again, if a layer stops working, it's only that one uh, that one uh, protocol on that layer has an issue. It's the only, That's the only thing that's working, that, that has the issue that's not working. The Arbitrum settlement layer continues to move along like everything's fine, and the others, the others on layer two, work just fine as well. Uh, I would love to see Solana go to a similar type model where Solana is the settlement layer and then there's other layers on top of it. Um, but with that said, if Arbitrum does pull this off, it works the way they're claiming that it's going to work, it could be game over for every other chain out there because <clears throat> the whole thing is speed. Arbitrum offers speed and transaction costs. That's what... That's what that's what powers people to go to blockchains. And that's why you have all these people, they try Bitcoin, they try Ethereum, those are the first way of coming into blockchain. And then they start to discover something like a Solana, and then they start to discover something like a Tron or a Cosmos or what have you. And they'll use them, the average person. But then as they do more and more research, they, they start to learn about decentralization, they start to learn about security, and then they realize, oh, well, nothing, nothing beats Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are the two most secure blockchains in the world, and we know that. And there's argument that Ethereum could be more secure and more decentralized than Bitcoin. And you have an argument between both camps, and I don't want to be involved in that. But people of the world, they vote with their money, right? They vote with dollars. They vote with euros. They vote with yens. They vote with their money. Who has an enormous, not just market cap, Bitcoin's the leader, Ethereum second, by far, those two. But who has the most total value locked, right? That really doesn't exist on Bitcoin. But on Ethereum, it's by far. I mean, nothing comes close, right? It's, I don't know, 24 billion or 28 or 30 billion, whatever the number is. Solana, Tron, Cosmos, all those others, they don't come close. You know, even BNB, as big as the... Binance exchanges and, and the ability for them to reach millions of customers, they still only have a fraction of total value locked that Ethereum that, that is on Ethereum. Well, why? Because people realize it's not only about transaction, it's also about an investment. And when you can lock up your capital and earn a return, that's where they're going to put their capital. They're going to put it on the most secure blockchain out there, let alone institutional money which is starting to flow in. And I'm going to do a podcast on that here either tomorrow or whenever this weekend. But it's that's why the money's going to certain places. Will people continue to use, use Solana and Tron and what, yeah, whatnot? Yes, but they're only going to put so much of their money there. And I use it, like I said, I use Solana every single day. I love the, I love the AMMs. You look at the AMMs that, that I suggest using on Solana, Orca, and radium, right? Total value locked on Orca is about thirty million, um, and and um, or yeah, about thirty million on um, radium. It's like thirty-five million total value locked. You look at something like um, Uniswap. I don't know what total value locked—a billion dollars or something. One and a half billion dollars transactional volume on on. Um, 
on Orca's like 36, uh, 36 billion. On Radium, it's 50 some odd billion. On Uniswap, it's 1.5 trillion or 1.6 trillion. So there's, a, again, the big major money out there goes to Ethereum and its different layers. Um, the smaller type stuff is going to go to the Solanas and the Trons in the world, and that's just the way it's going to be. And I said it the other day on a podcast, Solana, Tron, those other type um, blockchains are literally like um, are literally like the Android operating system on cell phones today. And Ethereum and its layers is literally like the iPhone. Who uses iPhones? Mo- majority of people that use iPhones, it's a huge percentage, is professional people, right? Whether they're white collar, professional, doctors, lawyers, what have you. The Android is more for the lower end. I mean, it's just it is what it is. Worker type Bs, people that you know, people that aren't making a whole a lot of money, they're using Androids. There are far more Androids in the world, right? But if you were to compare, if you were to compare. Um, Income ranges of an Android user and income ranges of an iPhone user, the iPhone users far surpass the Android users when it comes to income, right? And it's the same thing. There's way more, there's going to be way more users and way more transactions on Solana, Tron, you know, in these other chains than there is going to be on Ethereum and its layers. Although the layers are starting to change that, but it's still, it's still more on these others. But where's the capital? The income range of one, someone that's using Ethereum and layers is far higher than the income range of people using Solana, Tron, and the others. And it's just fact. It is what it is, right? So, and I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I use, I use everything. I use Arbitrum almost on a daily basis. I use Solana on a daily basis. And there's reasons to use different things, right? Um... When I you when I look at the AMMs, well, the 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 demonstrations I've done on uh, YouTube with the um, AMMs, the demonstrations one I got seventeen dollars in there, one's got twelve dollars fifty cents in there. So I'm trying to show people you can start off with a small amount of money, but there's no way I would ever use it on Uniswap, on Ethereum, or even Arbitrum because the fees are way too high. You couldn't do it. Because every transaction is going to cost several dollars, whereas on Solana, using Orca and Radium, the fraction, the, tra- the the transactions fraction of a penny, so I could pull it out and put it in whenever I want. If I'm going to use five thousand, ten thousand dollars, I'm going to go a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to go on Arbitrum or Polygon or just Ethereum base layer for that matter, and use Uniswap, right? Or maybe another protocol that competes with Uniswap. That's plain and simple. That's where I'm going to put my major money. But to show for, for, for me, for demonstration purposes, with a small amount of money, I'm going to do it on these other protocols, or these other blockchains, that the fees are sub-penny. But now, with all that said, if Arbitrum pulls this off and it beca- transactions become sub-penny, I won't have to use Solana whatsoever, right? Our merchant services, right? Right now, our merchant services, we, we are pitching merchants to use Solana and USDC because, again, the transactions are sub-penny. So it cons- doesn't hurt the consumer. It doesn't hurt the merchant. Can't I can't pitch... We can't pitch our merchants to use USDC or, or Tether on Arbitrum because the transactions could be $0.05, cents, could be $0.50, cents, could be $0.70, cents, whatever. 
too much, right? The guy's going to go in there and pay for his, you know, $8 worth of dry cleaning. The, the person doesn't want to send USDC or Tether on Arbitrum for $8 and pay $0.15 cents in a fee. I mean, that, it doesn't make sense at that point, right? It's $0.15 cents is 2% more transaction cost. Whereas if it goes to that dry cleaner for that $8 dry, clean, dry cleaning bill and uses either Tether or, or USDC on Solana, he's got no problem because it's literally it's a thousandth of a penny to send $8, right? But again, if Arbitrum pulls this off with this stylus, look out. I mean, you don't need to use anything else. You really don't. You get the security of Ethereum, the speed of Arbitrum, and the low cost of Arbitrum. It'll, it'll, it could potentially be game over. So that's it. So we're going to end it as we end every day or every podcast, I should say. No man has the, should have the power to create a money for free that another man has to work for. I hope you enjoyed this. Goodbye.